It's great to be here this evening. Join me in standing. Logan, can you open us in a word of prayer? And join me in singing page 245, the old account was Sixty-three. What a day that will be.
the scene, page 145, it is well.
Well, amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house tonight. Good crew. Thank you for coming back and being here with us. Uh, just want to say Miss Kathy got home today. So praise the Lord for answered prayer there and uh, the fact that she's made home. I also meant to mention last night I was visiting with Brother Richard. Uh, they had been in a church on Sunday and I uh, asked him how it went. And he said, well, they didn't vote, so I'm not for sure that they're going to take us on, but I really think so. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, they gave us $10,000 uh, to help with buying a truck or getting tickets or whatever we need to go to Papua New Guinea. And I'm like, praise God, you know, what a blessing. And then uh, we were talking before he made this trip, and he, it's so horrible. He's out in Colorado. And uh, he said, you know, he goes, I don't have any place to go in the middle of the week. And so I gave him some ideas of where he might be able to find some lodging or something like that. And there happened to be a family in the church that has like this cabin on their property. And so he's getting to stay in a cabin and uh, the lady of the house is doing the cooking because Leslie hadn't been feeling good. And so, I mean, wow, how awesome, how awesome. It just... When you serve God, it's amazing things that God does for you. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. All those things mentioned, what about us here tonight? Are you ready to hear from the Word of God? I've been excited since he announced we're going to talk about heaven. Amen. That's an exciting place. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be great. Before we talk about heaven, though, we've got a couple of songs tonight. Uh, from the kids the wells kids are going to come and sing for us remember tomorrow night we're going to take special offering just for them okay not mom and dad just for them so come prepared and able to give i know that'll be a real blessing uh, to these kids Circumstances may be on what you 
gonna put on my walking shoes someday up yonder. Someday with Jesus I will be. Hand in hand we'll stroll down that golden glory avenue. I'm gonna put on my walking shoes. The Bible says that heaven waits for those who trust in Jesus. There's no better place for anyone to be. Jesus died to save all sinners, gave his life for you and me. All he asks of you is trust him and believe. I'm gonna put on my walking shoes someday up yonder. Someday with Jesus I will be. Hand in hand we'll stroll down that golden glory The former things are forever passed away. I'm gonna put on my walking shoes someday up yonder. Someday with Jesus I will be. Hand in hand we'll stroll down that golden glory avenue. Gonna put on my walking shoes. drunkards and no thieves to rob our homes a place where there's no funerals no darkness only light oh someday i'll meet my precious lord up there and then i'll put on my walking shoes someday up yonder someday with jesus i will be hand in hand we'll stroll down that golden glory I want to thank you for being here again tonight, uh, night number three. This is almost done, and I miss it already, and I can't believe that, but I'm glad you're here tonight. Enjoy my kids singing. They've been working hard on that, and 
appreciate y'all letting them work through some of those things, but I appreciate them uh, singing. Um, looking forward to preaching tonight, um, but I've been, the best part for me has been able to spend some time with some of y'all. I tell you, the music has been good. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you always lead the singing here, but I don't know if I caught you kind of get overwhelmed by It Is Well With My Soul. I think you almost had the song leader kind of crumble underneath the song leading right there, but he did well. I think you were like, I think even you were kind of, I wouldn't say impressed, but just it was good singing and good congregational uh, leading as well. So Jay's done well. And then I look around, uh, Lalo been good to try and uh, catch up with you. I see the Newstons and just a bunch of y'all. Uh, Jay is around here somewhere. There you are, Jay. And, and the Fosters, all of you guys look alike, so it's easy to remember them. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, Caleb here on the front row, I had to uh, ask him what his, if he knew what his name meant, and I asked his mom, and she knew. We have a Caleb as well, and most people didn't know this, and I don't know if you all know this or not, but the name Caleb means uh, loyal, wholehearted, that's where we get Caleb and Joshua, they wholeheartedly followed the Lord and things like that. When we were naming Caleb, I came across this, the, the, there's also an Arabic side to that as well, and the Arabic side to Caleb is just simply this, dog. That's it, dog, because uh, dogs are loyal, dogs are faithful. So I, I, when you see him tonight at church or tomorrow when he comes back, a, a genuine salutation will be, what's up, dog? <laughs> that's comp- no, I take that back, don't do that to him. But uh, it's true, that's what his name means. Uh, <laughs> she enjoyed that. <laughs> There's... Uh, others I've got to meet, Jeff and his family, I'm glad they're here, and then uh, the Drinkards are here, I think y'all know them as well, we spent a little bit of time with them this afternoon, uh, we were in, and we went to this place called Shields, has anybody ever been to that place, uh, first time there, that was pretty neat, um, uh, we enjoyed that, and I realized I couldn't afford any of the guns there, so we went to the knife section uh, over there, and uh, I think it was little Keith, he pulled out his knife, and he was showing us what he had, and things like that, and then I had to pull out my little old dinky one right here. That's it. But it has Brother Drinkard's name engraved on it. It says Old Timer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's been good to catch up with a bunch of y'all and get to know you and your situations and your family, Lori and all of them. It's just been good to get to know you more than just high and by. I'm going to preach on heaven tonight. I'm going to try my best. If I had maybe my own personal request about when I get to heaven, you know, if you build a house... And Jesus says he's going to build a house, build a mansion for us. Anybody that's ever built a house kind of puts in their own special request, you know, at least on this side of eternity. We could maybe make some of my own. Here's the first one I would probably request, that there be absolutely no nursery. Who wants to get to the millennial year reign and find that there are the millennial reign and find that they've got nursery for about 250 years? You know what I mean? No one wants that. And then, this is probably a little bit different, uh, but my mind thinks a little bit different. I'm hoping that the marriage supper of the Lamb is a big missions international banquet. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just my thoughts on that. Grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation 21. And then also the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 23. Genesis 23 and Revelation 21. Which means we're going to cover like everything in between tonight. We're in both ends of the book. Revelation 21 and Genesis 23. I really do say thank you again for the opportunity to preach. Um, I told your preacher this afternoon and maybe yesterday, you guys really have more than a pastor here. Uh, you guys have like a mom and dad. Not just to this church, but a lot of other people as well, and including Jennifer and I. So 
Uh, I don't know what your relationship is to him. I think I got a pretty good overall feel about how everyone's relationship is to him, but you guys have more than the pastor here, and I'm just being completely honest with you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, so I appreciate him letting me preach. Um, Revelation 21, why don't you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Revelation 21, you're holding your place in Genesis 23. So when I say Genesis 23, you know we're kind of coming in for a landing. I'm going to read the first uh, five verses. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, well, I've got to read verse 3 again because we've got, to, we've got to read it like it's being said. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful, are true and faithful. I'll be real honest with you, I'm going to preach to you tonight, but this is something I've got to preach to myself uh, as well. This isn't just for you, this would be for me. And I think that's going to be really helpful for both of us. Let's pray and we'll get started. For tonight, just pray that you'd help me. Uh, again, as I said already, this isn't just for the people sitting here. As I point a finger out there, I've got three back at me. So, Lord, I pray that you'd take a, take a message from the Bible and, Lord, that you'd, you'd use it for my own life. And at the same time, it'd be a help to your people here tonight. And I'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Your, um, your preacher and I, we share a mutual friend, and his name is Matt Farinella. I think y'all may have supported them, or did y'all? I know y'all know them. We've, we've talked about them. So we share a mutual friend, the Farinellas, and um, one time, I want to say it was during the Farinellas trip to Texas, the preacher may have been there, but we were discussing some things, and we were commenting on how extremely positive Matt Farinella was, even despite really hard times. You know, he's a He's a church planner, and he goes through typical church planner struggles, and then his wife had cancer. And, but this guy's always smiling. He's always got a good attitude. It's just, it just kind of so smiley makes you sick a little bit. Like, man, you just, whatever's going on, life is good for you, that type of, and it's really a good thing. And he shared with us a study that was conducted on people and their perspective on situations, how some were naturally optimist and some were... Uh, pessimist. Some are half glass full people and others are half glass empty. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, Who's the half glass full? Raise your hand. Wonderful. Uh, About half of you. And I don't even need to ask the second question. You know what I mean? So he was telling us about this study about people who are optimist and pessimist and they, they did this study on kids, and they took the pessimistic kid, and they, uh, they were going to put him in a room full of brand new toys. So they took this kid who's really always negative, and they put him in this room full of toys, brand new toys. And it was toys and games that every kid could ever want. And the kid walks in, and he gets all poochy-lipped. You know what poochy lip is, right? 
gets all poochy-lipped, and he's all down and discouraged. And uh, they ask, man, what, what's wrong? And the kid responds, they probably don't have any batteries. And besides, I won't, won't get to keep them anyhow. Like, what a bummer, right? <laughs> it's this kid. And then they went to this, uh, the other kid. They put her in a room full of manure. Uh, I mean, like, up to her waist in manure. And she walks in there and gets a big smile over her face. She walks in this thing, and she walks in this room, and she began just moving around, moving around. She just walked through the room, moving this manure all around. And she begins moving it, throwing it up in the air. She's having a good old time. She is smiling like you would not believe. They cannot figure this thing out, going, what's wrong with this girl? So they asked this girl, they said, what are you smiling about? What could you be so happy about wading through all this stuff? And she says this, are you kidding me? There has to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) I've got to imagine that if it were you and I sitting alone on this island, you and I would be half glass empty. Do you know what I'm saying? But John couldn't be more optimistic about things to come. If you know the whole story about the book of Revelation and John is writing this, he is, he's not in a good spot, but he gives us this, this letter and I'm telling you, it's full of hope, and it's full of optimism. As a very old man, he sits down and he picks up his pen for the last time to write this letter for just you and I. You and I are going to receive this thing, and he's in his 90s. He's one of the last apostles, and although he's old, I'm telling you, he's still serving God. I want to say that again. Although he's old, he's still serving God. You can still do something even in your old age. And on this special Lord's Day, the Bible says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he set this time aside, and God met with him. God wasn't done with him despite his age. And he's going to write this letter. He writes this letter, and Jesus meets with him to give him some final instructions in Revelation 1. He says, What thou seest, he says, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. He says, I'm going to show you some things, and I want you to write it down. So he does just that. He gives him a reason to be there, and he gives him a purpose. And I told your preacher this, this sometime this week. I kind of feel like he does in church. Everybody needs someone, and everybody needs something to do in the church. It keeps you busy. It keeps you active. And God gives him a purpose. There in the, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and God gives him a reason to be there. He has a reason, something to do. So he begins writing this letter, and he's the last of the living apostles. And he's somewhere between 90 and 95, and he's sent to this island of Patmos for punishment, uh, for just basically being a witness for Christ. And this wasn't the only book that he had written. He'd written the Gospel of John. Come on, follow me. He'd written the Gospel of John. He'd written 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And now he also has the book of Revelation. He's the author of that as well. But one of the things he says in John 21, he says, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. He's saying that if we recorded everything that Jesus done, the whole world wouldn't fill up all, with all the books that we wrote about him. Yet this final letter is given to you and I, and he begins to sit down and pen the book of Revelation. When Paul was caught up into the third heaven, he said that basically he saw things that were inexpressible, things he saw he couldn't comprehend and certainly couldn't come back down and write about, and things of that nature. Remember that, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, and he says he was caught up into paradise, and 
heard unspeakable words which it was not lawful for a man to utter. So he says, basically, I I ascended up there, but I couldn't come down and and write about it. John is going to write about it. Listen, there are a lot of people that claim to ascend into heaven and then come back and then they write about it. You know, when you're on a bestseller list, I'm just saying, by the time it got to a bestseller list, it's probably not what you thought it was. I don't know about those stories. I don't know anything about those stories. But I will say that there are a lot of stories that are shared of loved ones who have passed away, listen, especially by like hospice care workers. You know what I mean? Maybe you've heard some of these stories yourself. Hey, listen, these people who pass on, they don't have any, anything to win. They have no money to make. These hospice care workers, I'm not trying to get weird on you. I'm just saying maybe you've heard these stories before as well. When someone passes along, they may say, my grandmother, you could, she would say something like this. You, you hear the music, and then they'd go on into glory. Or maybe they would be reaching for someone or something and say, can, can, do you see it? Do you see it? And maybe they're getting a glimpse into heaven. I don't know. They're not here to tell us. They didn't make it. But those, are, those, those stories are, those are abundant. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of those. Yet we have the book of Revelation, and John sits down, and he's going to write to us about this place called heaven. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of opinions on Revelation, but this I can say with certainty. It's real. It's a real physical place. It's a real physical place. In John chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Anybody got any troubles? Absolutely. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. The way you know. Then comes these details of heaven that John would give us in Revelation 21. So I know I'm kind of just giving you a lot of information right now, but please follow it. He, he lists the details of heaven. It's a real physical place. And in chapter 21, verse number 10, here's what he says in verse number 10 through 14. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gate twelve gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So he says, hey, there's a precious stone, these stones there. So I'm just saying this right here. We're not talking about stones that we find around here. We drove through Flint Hills. I think that's what it was called. Listen, you and I think good stone is something like we might put granite in our, our kitchens or something like that. Hey, listen, we're not talking about that. We're talking about things that really our mind can't comprehend. In verse number 14, he says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So he gives us some details. And then he says in verse number 15, I know we're reading a lot, but just stick with me. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth fourscore, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. 
And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. So he mentions this thing called a furlong. Basically what he's told us is this right here. That, this, uh, that, that heaven was, this new heaven was going to be 1,500 miles long. And it was just as long as it was tall and wide. And it was like a big cube is what he was saying. Then he says that the walls are about 200 feet thick. So it's 1,500 miles long high and wide, with walls 200 feet thick. And then he mentions all these other stones as well. He mentions those in verse number 18 down through verse number 20. I'm going to do my best to read some of them. So he says in verse number 19, the middle of that, the the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, fancy uh, granite, (laughs) the fourth an emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth, even better granite, uh, the the eleventh adjacent, the twelfth an amethyst. So he mentions all these different stones and how they are just rich in color. Rich in color. Colors you and I can't comprehend. When I was a kid growing up and we had kindergarten, we were going to get a box of colors and there was going to be about eight of them. You know what I mean? And then we would mix them together and we would make some other colors. And now if you walk into Home Depot and you say, I want, a, I want a certain color, there's a thousand colors. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mercy alive, I wish it was simple where I just, I just want one particular color. I remember being in Home Depot and there was this, there was this old timer. He was, I'm telling you, this guy was, he was, a, he was, he was one of those older generation guys. And he walks in and he, sa- he tells the woman who's running Home Depot paint, he says, I need brown. And he, she says, well, what kind of brown? I need manly brown. That's what he tells her. That's all he says. But if you go into Home Depot and you look on the wall, there's, there's a thousand colors. And I guess all I'm saying is this right here, that hey, when you and I get to heaven, my friend, there's going to be colors that you and I can't comprehend. There's going to be things that we, we've never seen before. It's just going to be things we've never seen before. And then there's 12 gates and 12 pearls, and each gate is made of a single pearl. And that's where we get the phrase, the pearly gates. And the street was a city of pure gold, so pure that it looked like glass. That's what we just read. And then I'm just saying that, hey, this is a physical place. It's not just something, a figment of our imagination. John is writing to us about this place. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. He says, I'm going to prepare this place for you. All right, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, that it's a real place, let me slow down and say, hey, this is going to be a perfect place. I mean a perfect place. Like no problems whatsoever. And he shows us that in verse number 1 through 4. He tells us a few things about it. In verse 2 he says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Mercy alive. That sounds good. That sounds real good. So John's telling us about heaven and how good it's going to be. But then he also tells us, here's what's not going to be there. We just read that. He says, this place is going to be wonderful, but here's what's not going to be there. 
I don't know if you can kind of maybe put yourself in that position. Maybe if you have like a favorite vacation spot, somewhere you really like to go, and you say, this is the best spot about going out to wherever. You'd say, no cell phones, right? No distractions, no email, no work, something like that. So take your favorite place, your most wonderful place, and say, here's what I love about it. There's no phone. There's no in-laws. I don't know if you've got a problem with in-laws. <laughs> or outlaws, whatever, wherever they fall. There's none of them. This is going to be a great place with none of that. That's what John just did right there. This place is going to be wonderful, but it's not going to have these things. Well, what are those things? Here's what he says. be no more tears. be no more tears. The place is going to be wonderful. There's going to be no more tears. Listen, we shed tears for all kinds of things. When a baby's born, I'm telling you, the first thing they do, they want to see that thing crying. You know what I mean? I mean, that child crying, not thing crying, but they want to see that baby crying. Tears are a, a good thing there, right? They are. Listen, John's not talking about onion tears, okay? We're not on the same page. Okay, let me try this. We cry for all kinds of reasons. Some people cry happy tears, right? A mother has a baby and things, all of a sudden they go from tears of pain to tears of joy. You know what I mean? There's tears. And, uh, you can, I've, I've shed tears more than pain. I'm telling you, pain. Uh, one time I broke my arm. Uh, I broke my arm. There was a girl uh, in our neighborhood. Every neighborhood has one of these girls. They're just mean to the guys. Guys do nothing wrong. Guys are perfect. No. <laughs> Until Genesis 3 came along. <laughs> Well, this girl, her name, we, we nicknamed her, uh, she was just mean, okay? She, she would kick guys, if you know what I'm saying. She would kick guys, she was just mean. And we had a nickname for her, her name was Pootie. <laughs> it's not a, not a good name, but it's just a neighborhood name for her, her name was Pootie. Uh, and Pootie was standing in the middle of the road, and I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I told her, I'm going to run you over with my bicycle. And it was like a game of chicken. And I'm just saying, I got on my bicycle, and I started going up the road. And Pootie was right in the middle of the road. And I'm just saying, she didn't budge. So that means I had to go around her, and as I'm coming at her, I went around her, I went around the right side, my handlebar clipped her elbow, and when that happened, I went over the front of the, front of the bicycle, and I landed in the street, and I remember I did something to my back. And when I, when I went to grab my back, I remember doing this. I remember grabbing my elbow and doing this right here, thinking I was going to scratch my back, and I remember seeing my wrist that went just like this. It went out just like that, and then it went up, and then it went out again. You talk about crying like a big baby. <laughs> Pootie won. <laughs> it did. We were, cried like you wouldn't believe. Went to the hospital. I was about 12. This was before uh, camera phones and stuff like that. There was a picture that showed up here about five years ago of me in the hospital with me laying in a hospital bed with uh, like these Chinese finger cuffs laying on the bed with these counterweights on the bottom and the doctors pulling my arm apart to move the bones around. And the first thought that crossed my mind was, where'd you get a camera? <laughs> Did you guys stop at the store to take a picture of this or what? Sick stuff, you know what I'm saying? I cried. Those were some serious tears. And then I mentioned to you that I've got a little brother as well. His name's Christopher. He's about 11 and a half, 12 years younger than I am. And I like to mess with him. That's older brother's job, to mess with siblings. That's just one of the qualifications for the oldest one. He's the youngest, and I remember uh, two times in which I cried of laughter. How about that one? You can make you cry of laughter. 
One of those times was, one of those times was he came over, I mentioned that my mom stays in a, in a guest house in our backyard, and before he was married, he came over and he was going to see my mom, and he was going to stay the night with her. She didn't have anybody staying there, and it was a one-bedroom little house back there, and he's going to sleep on the couch. And I knew the routine, he, it was late, he'd come in, he's got to get washed up, he's going to sleep on the couch, he'd made, he's made his bed on the couch, he'd laid some blankets, stuff like that. The lights were going to be out when he came out of the shower. I, I knew the routine, and I knew how this was going to work, so I slipped out of my house, and I came over to my mom's house. So what I did was, when he came out of the shower, come into the living room, and he was going to lay down without turning on any lights because he didn't want to wake my mom up or anything, I knew he'd lay down right there. So what I thought would be a great idea is for me to lay down right there first. <laughs> so when he laid down, listen, when he laid down, I grabbed him, and you talk about that man come flying up off the couch. <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed. I was crying laughing. I'm telling you, I was crying. What that did was, at the time, I was dealing with these heart palpitations. And that kicked those things into high gear. And I am laughing, and my heart is fluttering. And it was, doing, it was like, like a fish just flopping around in my heart. I couldn't figure out, man, this thing won't stop. And it's done that before, and I go cough, and I do some things to fix it. I, I did everything I knew how. I went, I went and took a shower. I laid down. I tried to relax. My heart kept fluttering. And we were going to camp about two days later. This is Saturday night about midnight. I, I scared my brother, and I thought to myself, if we go to camp, there's no reception there. And there's a good chance if this happens out there, I'm going to die. I'm just saying when it was all said and done, I ended up at the hospital because I scared my little brother. <laughs> that was the first time. Second time... He come over to the house again. By this time, he's married. He's, uh, he's going to pull in. He's going to say hi to my mom for something. He's got my nephew with him. And uh, he pulls into the driveway. He goes back there. I slip out of the house. It's, again, pretty late at night. And I thought to myself, this will be good. I, while he's in there, or while they're in there, I'm going to go sit in the back seat of the car after they get in. Oh, it was great. I need a chair right here. Lalo, help me out here. So you're... Uh, my, you're going to help for two reasons here. One, because you're younger than I am. Two, because you're half Mexican, and so is he. Okay? <laughs> right. I'm full About like that. Right? Have a seat. Yeah, have a seat. So I'm sitting back here. This little Toyota Camry that he has. It's dark. I turned off the dome light, and he gets in the car. My nephew's right there. I'm sitting back. I called Jennifer. I said, hey, you've got to watch this. <laughs> so he gets in the car, and I'm sitting back here, and I'm just being really quiet, really quiet. And him and my nephew get in the car, and they begin to leave. And Act like you're driving. Put your hands on the wheel. There you go. And uh, I reached around like this, and I said, Hey, boys. <laughs> 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 oh, my word. You talk about <laughs> brake checks and almost hitting the ditch. Man, that was good. That was really good. These two, gro well, he's grown... And this one over here was pretty close to it. Sounded like two girls. It was awesome. It was awesome. Oh, it was great. The best part was this right here. My, my little brother, he's tactical. I mean, he's like all kinds of guns and ARs. And he's got like a separate line of insurance on all his guns and stuff. He, he's all about, he's so uh, into that that he'll, he'll travel around the country and go work out with these guys. And they'll go shooting, create some videos. He'll do some training and stuff like that, and he'll meet up with these buddies, and he'll travel the country doing some of this stuff. And here's what he said after he brought me back to the house, after he thankfully didn't kill me. He said this, he says, you know, the worst part about this is, he says, I've been training for this my whole life. 
I said, yeah, Bubba, you failed. <laughs> you failed. I'm telling you, I was crying. It was funny. Thanks, buddy. Those two times, I'm telling you, I was in tears. The time he sent me to the hospital and the time I, he was in the car, I'm telling you, I, I cried. Because <laughs> I thought it was good. It was really good. But we got to understand that John, he's not talking about happy tears. He's not. One man said this, tears are necessary to help us grieve. In a sense, they help cleanse the soul. And here's what John is telling us. First thing he says is there's going to be no more, uh, there's going to be no more uh, tears. There's going to be no more tears. But here's why he says that. He also says this, there will be no more sea. It's pretty important. Why would he say that? John is saying there's going to be no sea in heaven. There's going to be no sea. Uh, he says that because he's on the island of Patmos and he's separated from everyone that he loves. Everyone that he knows. He is an isolated man and he feels all alone. I remember our evangelist J.C. House, he said this. I wrote it in the back of my Bible, I don't know, a couple years ago. He said this, the hardest part about losing a loved one is not having that same love returned back to you. Your love never stopped for them. He just says, hey, now the love is not being returned back to you. And he says that's very difficult. He'd lost his wife before. In other words, John is saying this, there's going to be no more tears and I'm no longer going to be separated from those that I love and who has he lost that he's loved? Well, when you consider some of the apostles, Andrew, he was crucified. Bartholomew, he was skinned alive and supposedly crucified upside down. James, he was beheaded or stabbed, they say, by Herod Agrippa. Then there was also uh, James the Less. He was martyred in his early 90s and he was thrown off a pinnacle. Judas, we know him, he, he committed suicide. Then there was also Simon Peter. They say he was crucified by Nero. Then Philip, they say, was tortured. He was impaled by hooks. I'm just saying, I don't have to go down the whole list. You get the idea that here was friends and people that he knew and that he loved. And he says, I am no longer going to be separated from people I love and there will be no more tears. Mercy. I know this to be true. He's lost loved ones. And in verse number 4, he says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Listen, I've not been in some of your positions before, but this I do know. This is what I, I guess I'm trying to just counsel myself in knowing this right here. If something doesn't change for my dad here real quick, that hey, I'm going to be just like John on the island of Patmos and going, hey, he's gone and I'm here. We're separated. We're separated. Some have been separated from those that they love already. They've already seen that already happen. They feel just like John, sitting on an island all by themselves. They can look at John and say, I, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. And here's what he says, in, also in verse number 22 through 27, he mentions, he mentions it basically. He says, I saw, in verse 22, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. What a wonderful day that will be. No one will be late to church then, friend. It's a church service forever is what he's saying. No temple in the city. There'll be no church building. Why? Because he is the temple. He is the light. That's what he's saying here. And then he tells us, hey, it's just for those written in the Lamb's book of life in verse number 27, the last part of it. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
There was a gentleman, he was an explorer, his name was Marco Polo. I thought that was just a game, to be real honest with you, but he really lived. <laughs> Marco Polo, after completing some of his journeys, he went back to his home in Venice. And when he got back home, he began to describe some of the things that he had seen, and basically nobody believed him. Those that were closest to him thought he was crazy. They thought he just lost his mind. And he told them about large animals that were uh, 20 foot long and had big jaws and could eat people. They had never seen a crocodile. They had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, he told them about black stones that you could set on fire and that would provide heat. They didn't understand what charcoal was. And he told them about a substance that came out of the ground that was black and oily and you could light it on fire and they, they didn't know what oil was. They didn't know anything about that. And years later when Polo was dying on his, laying on his deathbed, one of the men who actually believed him uh, came to him and said, tell me those stories once again. He says, I want to hear them one more time. Marco Polo apparently refused and simply said this, it's all true, every bit of it. He says, in fact, I have not told you half of what I saw. And I'm wondering, my friend, I wonder if we only have a small portion of what God showed him. What we read here, I wonder if it's just a small glimpse into what's actually there. Heaven, I'm telling you, makes me look forward to getting there. Makes me look forward to meeting those who've already gone before me. Makes me want to take someone with me. Makes me want to make sure you know you're going there as well. Some of your loved ones have already passed on already. I guess if you were titling the thing, it'd be this. Revive my heart for heaven. Revive my heart for heaven. Some of your loved ones have already gone on. I'm going through the book of Job on Wednesday nights, and this is what I do know. Job certainly could have identified with John. Here's a man who lost everything that he had. Lost his reputation, lost his resources, lost his family, all ten of his kids. His wife looked at him and said, basically, curse God and die, but I don't want to be too hard on her because she gave birth to them. She's going through a hard time as well. Now they're telling you they're going through a rough spot. And Job would say stuff like this. Job would say things like this in the middle of his hurt. He would say, I wish I was never even born. You find that in there. Uh, he'd say stuff like this. Uh, I can't, you remember It's a Wonderful Life? He'd say, I wish I was never born. Job would say that very thing. I, I wish I'd never even been born. I'm going through so much. And he'd say, I wish there was never a breast there for, to nurse me when I was born. I wish, I wish I'd, that's what he says. I wish I'd never breached the womb of my mother. He, I, he said, I wish there was no one there on the day I was born to celebrate the day of my birth. I wish there was no celebration. I wish this had never happened. That's what he said. You know what that tells me? <laughs> he said stuff in the book of Job that you and I look at and go, can you really be saved and talk like that? <laughs> but God records it for us. Which tells me this. That you can really tell God what you think. And He'll really listen. I'm just saying, it might not hit the ears of others real well, but you can pour your heart out to God for those that you've lost already. And one thing else I noticed about Job, uh, I read this book on Job, and I'm not a big reader, but sometimes I'll read a book and I can keep about two thoughts out of it. Here was one of the thoughts I learned about Job. It was this right here. In the middle of all that Job went through, and he went through a lot, never once did that man consider suicide. Never read it. Never read it. God's crowning creation. In that book, it just said this. Even animals don't do that. I know people, everyone here probably has know someone who's done that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. That leaves behind a whole lot of hurting people. It does. Can someone who was saved do that and still go to heaven? I believe yes. I do believe that. I do believe that. But Job never says that. He never, he never says that. He never make, considers that as an option. 
He never considers hastening his exit in order to meet those that he's lost. He doesn't do it. Some of your loved ones have passed on already. Abraham buried Sarah. And I'm telling you, he loved her. He loved her. Genesis 23. They had a child named Isaac. Uh, she was about 90. And I believe he was about 100. Right in there. Maybe in reverse. But uh, they, I'm just saying they were old when they had Isaac. I remember studying Genesis. And when they, he goes down to Egypt and he says, Tell them you're my sister. You know how old she is at that time? He says, basically, when we go down there, hey, you're very pretty, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're, you're going to turn some heads. You're going to turn heads, woman. That's what he's saying. And you know how old she is? 65. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> 65 years old and turning heads in Egypt. She ends up having Isaac a couple decades later. She ends up dying at 127 years old. She ends up dying at 127 years old. I'm just saying this right here. They had done a lot of life together. And he loved her. He loved her. Had a lot of memories with her. In Genesis 23, here's what it says of him when he lost his wife. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. You can underline two words right there. Mourn and weep. I'm telling you, God gave us emotions. He gave us tears for good reason. And no one can tell you how to grieve. And no one can tell you how to mourn. No one can tell you for how long. But here's what's important in verse number 3. The Bible says, And Abraham stood up from before his dead. What I'm saying is this right here. Eventually, with God's grace and help, he was able to get up and keep going. He was able to keep, get up and keep going. In fact, Abraham would live for another 38 years, which would be the most productive years of his life. He'd have 12 more boys. Those were the most productive years of his life. I guess what I'm saying is this right here. Just like John, I've said that John had purpose. Listen, you have purpose as well. God still has a plan for your life even after loved ones are already gone. Even though you feel like you're on an island all by yourself, I'm telling you, God still has a plan for your life. Know where Abraham is today? Luke 16 calls it Abraham's bosom with no more tears. With no more tears. God has a plan for your life and my life even if others have gotten there before us. One man said this, if the crumbs of joy that fall from the master's table in this world are so good, what will the great loaf in glory be like? I tell you, sir, there will be enough for everyone and some to spare. I don't know, you, don't, you may not like quotes, but I need to read that again. If the crumbs of joy that fall from the master's table in this world are so good, what will the great loaf in glory be? be like let me break that down for you he's just said this if you think you have good days here you just wait till you get to heaven if you think we have good church services here and there's a good meeting from time to time there's a good preacher or a good meeting or your preacher just nails one you go man the music was great and the message was great he says oh those are crumbs that fall from the table wait till you get to heaven that's what he's saying 
It's nothing compared to when we all get to heaven. Can I ask you two questions? We'll be done. Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And secondly, is someone waiting on you? But even if they are, you still have great purpose right here and now. Revive my heart for heaven. I know this, my friend. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Hey, there's people that I know and love. I told you already, even my own dad, if something doesn't change here real soon, I'm going to feel like an island and go before me. That's not going to be easy. But my life must go on. Life must go on. Revive my heart for heaven. Let's stand for a verse of invitation. Every head bowed, maybe every eye closed. I haven't been here long, but I do know this. I've spoke to some several people who've lost spouses and loved ones and remarried, and life has continued. And I can't imagine, I just can't imagine being in those shoes. I just can't. I spoke with your preacher this afternoon, and we just got to talking about that kind of stuff. I know this. I read a book, and it said this. 100% guarantee that every married couple, every married couple in this room, unless Jesus comes, uh, or you're involved in an accident, together, every man and woman sitting in this room will be a widow or a widower. No exception. No exception. Happened some for some earlier than others, but I want to God still has purpose. You can still be greatly used of God. He has a plan for your life, and Job would never say, Job would never look at it and say, you know what, my best days are still ahead. Abraham would never say, I've got good days ahead. They couldn't see that, but I guarantee you they poured their heart out. Maybe you need to come to an altar this evening, just pour your heart out a little bit. Say, Lord, thank you, for, thank you for heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting those that have gone before me. Lord, thank you for the, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the promise of a hope in heaven. Lord, it's a sure hope. Uh, for those that are saved, they can say, I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'm thankful for that. Maybe one here tonight doesn't know that for, sh- for sure. They'd say, I'd like to be saved tonight. I'd like to, like to know how I can go to heaven. Maybe that, that's you. Maybe you'd just be willing to raise your hand real quick. I, I don't, I'm not long with invitations. God's spoken to your heart. No need to drag our feet. Uh, you can say, I need to be saved tonight. I, I'd like to... I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to take the Bible and show you how you could be saved. Anybody here tonight? Maybe just say, look quickly, raise your hand. I'm glad to pray for you. All right, with all that said, everyone here tonight professes to have a testimony. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know how alone you feel. But I'm just saying God has a plan for your life. Lord, we love you. Make you blessed invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.
Gracious Lord in heaven, we're so grateful to call you our heavenly Father, and thank you, Lord, for a for us approach this for your holy word that you dying through your messenger word as it is know and understand and get to know you more. Lord, some of us have lost love. Lord, at times we see losses of great sacrifice. Lord, I don't know if they would understand how much that they help us. Thank you, God, again, word and how it hearts and minds with people. Go our separate ways. A new light, Lord, the gospel of Jesus. Someday I'll meet my precious Lord up there And then I'll put 
Someday with Jesus I will be 